Welcome to Make and Decorate, a podcast for makers who love to sew, quilt, and decorate. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Make and Decorate podcast. This is episode 58 of season three, originally published on October 29th, 2020. Wow, so here we are, end of October already. It just is going so quickly, um, yet, I don't know, it's a very strange feeling because the year feels, 2020 just feels like it's never going to end, but yet we're buzzing right through these months. And then I'm like, what happened to that month? What happened to this month? <laughs> so, um, but there's there's just lots going on. And I hope that you all are uh, staying healthy and safe uh, with everything that's going on. I mean, I can't believe there's another hurricane coming up the Gulf um, of the States. I think they said it was the 27th one this season. So crazy. I just, um, I can't remember when there were this many hurricanes in one season. And then out West, there's just never ending wildfires. And uh, so I just hope that, um, you know, with the change of the seasons and the weather kind of getting cooler, uh, that the weather will sort of go into hibernation. <laughs> I just, uh, it, that's the one nice thing about winter, even though it's like super cold um, and nobody likes driving in snow and slush and all of that and dealing with ice. But there's a peaceful calm to winter. And um, when there is um, just after a snowfall, it's really beautiful. And and I just feel like like winter is quiet. Winter is peaceful. So that's what I'm looking forward to, um, especially because uh, it seems like winter is like really knocking on our door early this year because uh, we got our first snow yesterday, which was the 26th of October. And uh, it's always jarring. It's just so jarring when the seasons change because it's like two weeks ago we were at 80 degrees and now we're at 32. So it's just a hard transition. But once you do make that transition and then you get settled into it. So anyway, uh, uh, enough about the weather. <laughs> um I want to announce the giveaway winners. So last Thursday, I extended it the, uh, another week. And so on the 22nd, uh, after 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, I did the drawing. And I did uh, the drawing through this um, computer program. Uh, it's like a random picker. Uh, so we have our two winners. So for the first uh, package giveaway, um, Barbara Parker won that package. So congratulations, Barbara, and thank you for entering and for your wonderful comment. Uh, and then the second um, winner for the second package is um, Carol Bustos. So thank you, Carol. And um, I they, they're already... In the mail, they're probably going to be getting them um, tomorrow or the next day. So I'm so excited for them to get their um, package of sewing goodies and notions and everything. So, um, yeah, I, I'm just um, I'm really I'm really excited and I'm happy for the two winners. And um, yeah, that's our that's my little celebration of season three of this podcast. 
So I've got a really good episode for you today. I have a guest, Yvonne Fuchs from Quilting Jet Girl, and um, I can't wait for you to hear our conversation. But before we get to that, let's continue on my chit chat segment. So yeah, back to October. There's there was just uh, October. I love. It's one of my favorite months of the year, and there's a lot that um, goes on. Uh, and one of the things last week. Um, we, I celebrated my, oh my gosh, no, not 20 yet, 19th wedding anniversary. So uh, we got married on October 20th, 2001. And we did um, some home projects this month. Uh, one of them uh, is something that I have been wanting to be done for years, and that is the removal of our wall-to-wall carpeting in our bedroom because uh, there was there's a perfectly good um, wood floor underneath it and uh, hardwood floor so it's not in the best condition but it's still uh, I just with my allergies and everything I just the carpets like wall-to-walls they just hold in so much of that garbage <laughs> that is not healthy for you to breathe in and out. So I was so relieved, but that was a big project because we just did it on our own and which requires moving all the furniture, taking apart the bed. And while the bed was apart, um, uh, gave me a good chance to um, kind of clean that up a bit. Um, it's a, it's a black cherry wood bed. Uh, and, um, you know, it just gotten like like any wood piece of furniture will get dinged up and scratched over the years. And so I did this um, restore a finish and I learned about that from Sophia um, YouTube channel, my great challenge. Uh, so I did that for the bed and I cleaned it with the lemon oil, put the restore a finish on and topped it off with this beeswax um Kind of like, it's not a sealer, but it sort of is. It's like the finishing thing, like a wax puts that coating and it buffs out to a real beautiful luster um, on the wood. Uh, And then, and and then I did it on my uh, dining table, which is in our kitchen. We do not have a dining room, but um, I got this beautiful um, oval mahogany a book matched <laughs> veneer table. It's totally vintage, uh, so well made and gorgeous um, that someone was was throwing away. So I got I got it for free. I sound like Sophia. I couldn't believe it because it it had white water ring marks on it and just totally just like I, I'm like it needs to be refinished but there's no way refinishing a table especially like that is so expensive um, so I knew that wasn't going to happen but this restora finish is amazing and it brought that table back to life and I mean practically looks <laughs> almost new um, so yeah I'm so I was really, really pleased with that. Okay. And, uh, you know, just busy stuff like that this month and preparing for winter and getting the outdoors, you know, ready. And, and um, of course, I, I had two beautiful weekends earlier in the month 
to plant my bulbs, my tulips, daffodils, and allium bulbs. But something happened on each of those weekends that I couldn't do it. So finally, last weekend, you know, I told my husband, we've got, I've got to get this done because next week winter is going to be here and it's going to be too late. The ground is going to freeze. So uh, with the help of my husband, um, we, I got all of those planted and <laughs> to keep the squirrels out, because the last time I told you they, the squirrel ate almost every single tulip bulb that I had planted. Uh, in addition to that, we have a resident bunny rabbit in our yard, our backyard. He's been there all summer. And um, I think that he was there for all of those sunflower like plants and leaves. I, I've, I've read that they the bunnies like those plants. All right. So uh, we got those done. Thank goodness. And I put the little plastic uh, sort of chicken wirey type of uh, stuff over the ground where my bulbs are planted and just, um, you know, put uh, the landscape staples uh, to hold it down. And I am so hoping that it does the trick. Cooper, our dog, and my little baby also had a birthday this month. On the 14th, he turned six years old. I cannot believe it. We got him when he was a three-month-old little baby puppy. Oh, he's so cute. And I just, the time is just going by so quickly. Uh, I just don't even want to think about it. So I'm just, we just, we enjoy every single day with him. And, you know, he has got a very good doggy life. Um, but he also gives us a lot of joy and happiness. So on the creative side of this month, um, I, it, it wasn't as busy and filled up with uh, sewing and quilting um, just because of all that other activity and projects that I was talking about. But I did have um, a, a sewing weekend with my niece. My sister came up and visited with her uh, little kiddos. And then my niece, a 12-year-old niece, stayed with me for a couple of days, brought her sewing machine with her, and we made pajama pants with pockets and she learned how to sew a curve she does really well she 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 did the pockets on her own and she she did the three-eighths inch seam uh they turned out really cute and uh we uh, I mean she was we did it from beginning to end from taping together the pdf pattern pieces to cutting them out and then we measured because she has long legs so we had to lengthen the pajama pants by um, I did it by a couple of inches uh, and I did a, a double one inch hem so that you know as she grows she could let out the hem and extend the life of those pajama pants then I uh, surged finished all the seams with my serger uh, and it was a really, you know, I, I realized as we were making these that this is a very good project to use when you're teaching someone how to sew, uh, because there's two pant legs. So I would do, I would show her what to do on the, on the one pant leg. And then she did the same thing on the other pant leg on her own. Uh, so it was, it was, it was fun. Um, 
And then we took the leftover fabric and we cut it up into squares and added another co uh, complementary fabric and we made a standard size pillowcase for her. So she has a coordinating pillowcase with her pajama pants. Uh, and uh, the patchwork, she had, she pieced it all together. I just did the cutting and I arranged the pieces and then I handed them to her in the pairs and she learned how to do chain stitching. And you should have seen her face light up. It was so much fun. She was like, oh, she couldn't believe. She's like, oh, I can keep going. I'm just, you know, keep putting the squares underneath and sew it and then get another set of squares and sew it and you make this long chain. And um, so it was really fun to see her light up and and when she was learning these pretty cool um, techniques. Because uh, we, we love chain piecing too, don't we? I mean, that's like so fun. I don't know why. You feel like you're just... You, chain piecing feels like you are accomplishing so much in a little amount of time and it's fun. Uh, and then we did that burrito pillow uh, method um, where you cut the, the cuff and the body of the pillow gets rolled up inside of the cuff and you stitch it across and then you turn it, you know, uh, pull it through the side of the cuff and voila, you know, there's like a part of the pillowcase is almost done. The one thing about the burrito pillowcase method is that two inch flange piece that um, they, that you put in between the cuff and the body of the pillow. It is fun. And I love, you know, decorative elements like that. However, that piece is way too big because unless you unless you normally regularly iron all of your bedding on a regular basis that two inch flange gets all wrinkled up and it never is straight once you wash it ever again unless you iron it every single time so uh we we just took that piece completely out and just did the um the cuff with the um, pillowcase. But um, if I were to, you know, add that contrast flange in between the cuff and the body of the pillowcase, I would make it a lot smaller so that it didn't get all wrinkly. I, I would, instead of having it, um, well, you cut a two inch piece and fold it in half. So it ends up being almost like, almost an inch. It's like three quarters of an inch flange. I, I would make it to where only a quarter to three eighths inch sticks up above the seam allowance. Um, so yeah, that's, that's just my only thing with that, that um, method is that ginormous flange <laughs> that gets wrinkled every time. All right. So we'll finish up this segment with what I'm watching recommendations, and then we'll get right into uh, my guest segment with uh, Yvonne Fuchs. Okay. So, um, when this episode goes live, uh, it will be one day before The Mandalorian Season 2 premieres. I am so excited for that. If you have Apple TV+, and if you're a Mandalorian fan, Baby Yoda fan, then you already know about this. But if you don't, and you're looking for something new to watch something really very good, then I recommend The Mandalorian. Netflix seems to have released a whole bunch of shows recently. New shows, 
new seasons to existing shows, movies. So uh, I I watched season three because it's only about like four episodes um, of my next guest with David Letterman. And it's pretty good. So he had Kim Kardashian on there, Robert Downey Jr., who is one of my favorite actors. And um, Dave Chappelle was very good. And Lizzo, so good. Also on Netflix, I watched Dream Home Makeover. And it's by uh, this um, design team, the, the McGee's. It's um, a husband and wife owns this company. And uh, they are super popular on Instagram and um, pretty much have exploded their business um, in five years uh, of starting it. I love this show, not only because they, they're just a very likable couple and um, their, their work is great and new and fresh and not everything is all one color, like white or gray. Um, uh, She really adds depth with colors and textures and, um, you know, beautiful details. So I really love um, their design. And the same time they're designing their clients' homes, they are in the process of designing and building their own dream home. And that's fun to watch too. It's fun to watch her struggle with uh, the choices of the colors um, in the kitchen and the countertops in her own home. Because we all do that, right? We all you know, waver back and forth of which is the right color. And even the pros do that as well. So uh, yeah, I really it's such a cute show. I love it. And you can get really good ideas. So if you have the stars movie channel, I've been watching um, the Spanish princess. It's I think this is season two or three. Um, And it's about Queen Catherine of Aragon, who was Henry VIII's first wife. And it's very dramatic. And although it's based on true, the true story, um, there are obviously you, you, you can totally tell that there's, there's things that obviously would never have happened in, in the real Catherine of Aragon days. Um, in fact, I actually was Googling some stuff because um, they were showing her like going into battle with all of the soldiers uh, and, against uh, Scotland. It was the Battle of Flodden. And I was like, no way did the real Catherine of Aragon do that. And of course, she did not. She did go. Um, but uh, I think they said she only made it like about 40 or 60 miles um, north of London. So uh, but anyway, it is it's just a good entertainment show, a period piece. I love the costumes and I love shows like that. Uh, so it's it's pretty good. PBS, another favorite channel of mine. Masterpiece just finished a four episode series called Flesh and Blood. And that is a modern day um kind of a drama. It's just about this uh this family of grown kids. Uh, being protective over their mother, who um, ha- is uh, just married out of nowhere, this stranger that nobody knows, and he seems very, very suspicious. So that's all I'm going to tell you. 
except I have to tell you this part. (laughs) So there's a neighbor and she is making this quilt furiously, fast and furious on this vintage, uh, what looks like a Singer machine, but she is shoving like what seems like yards of fabric through the machine. But what is she really sewing? She's she's not doing the quilting part and she's not doing the piecing, although I think they're trying to portray that she's doing the piecing. She's just jamming and running all this fabric underneath the, the needle of the sewing machine super fast. It's just a very funny depiction of someone quilting because it's just... Um, we can pick it out right away. We're just like, no, that's we don't do that. And uh, and she's cutting up with these big tailor scissors, and all of a sudden there's these perfect squares. Um, so yeah, you gotta watch for that that one scene. It's it's quite funny. And also on PBS, uh, a new show just started, a new masterpiece show, and it's called The Trouble with Maggie Cole. And it's set in a a fictional uh, town in um, the UK. Uh, They call it Thoroughbury. But I Googled this as well. (laughs) And uh, it was filmed in uh, Devon and Cornwall, uh, which are just picturesque coastal places in England. It's just so beautiful. Uh, so this, this show it was just the first episode. It's pretty good. Um, and I don't want to tell you too much about it because it'll give, give it away, but, um, it, it, it's comedy, it's funny, but yet it's also gets a little, you know, kind of drama ish. Uh, but it's so good. It's really so good. I love the PBS shows. Um, Okay, and the last ones I'm going to talk about are YouTube. So I have been catching up on Arne and Carlos. Uh, I watched them a few years ago when I was, you know, starting to get uh, interested in knitting, possibly. And then, um, and then it kind of just, you know, fell off and, and, um, didn't really watch them regularly until a listener, Kim, thank you very much for uh, mentioning them again. Uh, So then I started watching them again. And uh, it's really, I love it. They also live in a picturesque place. I don't know what it is. Why is everybody living in a picturesque, like beautiful landscape, either next to mountains or lakes or oceans and and uh yeah I'm not so I don't know sometimes that's how I feel (laughs) and their show is um about mostly about knitting Uh, they do some crochet but they also do other videos like a video podcast where the two of them are sitting there um chit-chatting and stuff and they're uh, maybe um, knitting while they're doing this. And um, oh, they they f- live and film in um, the uh, this beautiful um, countryside in Norway. Very beautiful. And they're always wearing these gorgeous knitted sweaters. Uh, so yeah, it's, um, 
it's a really, um, I've been watching them almost like <laughs> nonstop lately. Uh, it's because also during the, this, this pandemic, they, they are filming a lot more than they're sharing a lot more. So, um, but it's a really good channel, Arne and Carlos. And um, they uh, did kind of like a shout out to Kate over at The Last Homely House. She was on my show this past um, few, like several months ago. And uh, so they like her channel. And uh, Arne was saying that he wanted to try English paper piecing. So then, of course, I watch Kate's channel regularly. It's just like, you know a given, uh, any episode that comes out, I watch it. And so she, you know, found out about it because all of a sudden she was getting more subscribers because they've got like, oh, well over 100,000 subscribers. So then on her episode, she was thanking them for, you know, mentioning her. And then she was cutting out the hexagons, the paper hexes, and doing a little package to send to Arne. I thought it was so cute. And um, I just I just love how, you know, these shows uh, interact with each other, just like how I like to have other podcasters on my show. I think it's so much fun. So Arne and Carlos, uh, and of course, never forget about Kate, The Last Homely House. And uh, I, I've also been watching some because uh, there's a lot of Bob Ross uh, episodes out there. So he's that artist. When I was a kid, I always watched him. I always wanted to do those. He would always do those trees where he he tap, tap, tapped the paintbrush and it made it look like all the leaves on the trees. I mean, it was just magical for me. I was just like, oh my gosh, all he did was do tap, tap, tap. And there's all, there's a tree with all these leaves. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's, uh, I'm, I'm wrapping it up now because, you know, can you tell, do I watch too much TV? Yes. Uh, yes, I do. Uh, but a lot of this is kind of in the background when I'm doing other things. All right, so it's time. It is time for my conversation with Yvonne Fuchs, the quilting jet girl. And uh, she is one of the instructors of the workshops uh, for the upcoming QuiltCon Together, uh, which is in February of 2021. And I think, I believe you still have time to sign up for um, these workshops if there are openings. So, um, and I am taking one of her classes. So here we go. I'm so excited to welcome our guest today, Yvonne Fuchs from Quilting Jet Girl. Welcome, Yvonne. Hello. Hi, so good to be here with you. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm so excited. And I have so much to talk to you about. And um, just uh, real quickly, um, you, you, Quilting Jet Girl is your blog. And you're just want to mention to the listeners that you you blog and you design quilt patterns. You're a technical um, editor, editor, mm -hmm. and um, like and a teacher, right? Right. Yep, yeah. All of the above. Yes. Yeah, so we're going to talk about all of that. But um, quilting jet girl is your blog, and you, um, so let's just. I just want to go to the beginning because I kind of know like your um, pre career. That you are an aeronautical engineer, right? I yeah. So yeah. when I was in, <laughs> so when I was in high school, 
um, you know, trying to figure out what I was going to do at the time. Um, I was really heavily into music. So I was trying to decide between majoring in music and engineering, right? Because that makes sense. (laughs) And um, I actually double majored for my first semester in college to like sample them both. And I realized pretty quickly that for me, um, I wasn't going to be good enough to be performance on the music side. And I, and the teaching side wasn't quite where my passion was. Mm -hmm. I was definitely, I enjoyed the performance side of it more. So I was like, all right, music doesn't work. So I went into engineering and I picked aerospace engineering, um, because I wanted to work at NASA. Right. Right. (laughs) So, um, so I thought that was really cool. So, yeah. And I started actually working for NASA while I was in college as a cooperative engineering student. And so from 1999 until 2014, that was, that was what I did. I, um, had a, a career that spanned until 2014, 15 years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I had a 15 year, uh, career in aerospace engineering and I worked, um, at Kennedy space center in Florida. Florida. I worked at Langley research center in Virginia. And mm. then I left, uh, NASA and I came out to California and worked in the private sector for a company called scaled composites. Mm-hmm. Um, which designs prototype experimental aircraft and sort of had a culminating peak experience designing Spaceship Two. And um, yeah, I was ready to step off and try something new. So my (laughs) husband supported me in that. And uh, yeah, in 2014, I I left engineering and said, well, we'll see what, what can happen with this quilting stuff. So that's, that's great with your husband. Cause I mean, I think it's really important when you do have that support behind you. And I think it makes it that much easier for you to, you know, move forward with doing with what you love. Yeah. It, it mm-hmm. makes it much easier, but it's, mm-hmm. it also wasn't like a huge surprise. It'd been something that <laughs> right. we had talked about for years. Right. So, yeah, yeah. um, before we had come to California, when we were living in Virginia, working at Langley Research Center, I had actually thought about leaving and working for nonprofit organizations and had interviewed with, you know, some some organizations there. And, you know, just I, while I loved engineering, uh, being a female in that environment is actually pretty tough. Challenging, <laughs> for sure. Al- yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's not always, yeah, it doesn't always feel, it didn't always feel authentic to like, mm-hmm myself, you know? Yeah. So, um, I was thinking about what comes next for a few years. Oh, good, good. And then even before that though, did you already know how to sew and were you doing that as a hobby? Yes, exactly. So, um, I actually started quilting while I was in high school. My paternal grandmother was a prolific quilter. Um, and she was known for her fan quilts and her Baptist fan hand quilting, and she hand quilted everything. Oh, wow. Um, and so when I was a sophomore in high school, she said, if you piece a twin-size quilt top, I will hand quilt it for you so that you can take it with you to college for your dorm room bed. Oh, wow. Um, so my mom my mom was a prolific sewer as well, but she was more a uh, garment sewer. Mm-hmm. You know, she made us outfits as I was growing up and stuff. So my mom and I went to a fabric store. And we said, all right, what is this quilt thing? <laughs> and uh, the lady at the quilt store helped us out. And we picked out a quilt design a day book, um, picked out a pattern, picked out fabric, bought a rotary cutter, a mat. And between the two of us, we sort of figured out what the instructions were. And I remember the most confusing thing for my mom to help me with at the beginning. She's like, a quarter inch seam allowance. Like, <laughs> right. Usually it's three eighths. <laughs> so so yeah. we went through that. We figured it out. And my seams got better. You know, that first quilt is... Um, 
is an heirloom. It's uh, it's a treasure to me because it actually ended up being the last thing that my paternal grandmother hand quilted oh, before she passed away. So wow, that is really um, special. Yeah. Yeah. So I love it. And, mm-hmm. um, I didn't know what I was doing with binding. It's a three inch wide single fold binding, you know, you make it up, <laughs> you need to learn as you go. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I made two other quilts while I was still in high school and then I was coming home during college and using my mom's sewing machine. And so she finally was like, here's a sewing machine for Christmas. <laughs> stop, <laughs> stop, stop using her sewing room when you come home and <laughs> putting fabric all over the house. So yeah, it, it Definitely, I, I took to it pretty well, pretty quickly. So. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. And that you got to start at such an early, early of an age. Um, and to have a grandparent that really was prolific in quilt making. I mean, that's, that's really like a gem to have, you know, from yeah. beginning and starting and, and to see her hand quilting too. Um, is really cool. So, um, and I just have to say, though, too, that um, I I first saw you in 2015 when I joined a Periscope group that met. Right. Uh, I, I forgot how often that that they met, but I I came in kind of like in the middle. Weekly, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, and that was so much fun, and um, so I I remember you stand out to me because you at the time were making these mini quilts, these little mini quilts, and. 2015, I was still very new to quilting. So everything to me was just like wonder and awe and like, what people make these? I I only thought that people made bed quilts or lap throw quilts and stuff. And then I see these little, and you had them on your walls around where you sewed. And I was just like, I, and I still, I only have one. I need more of them. So I need to start making some mini quilts. (laughs) Yeah. So at that time it was really uh, popular through Instagram to do, it was called the mini, mini quilt swap. And so these are things, think mug rug size, like four inches, five inches. These are tiny little art quilts that you would make one and you'd trade it. You'd mail it (laughs) off to someone and they'd mail you one in return. So I uh, had this whole wall full of these little mini minis that I hadn't even made. You know, I'd made them and sent them out and these were the ones I received in return. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, that's really fun. I I did one, but it wasn't a mini quilt. It was a postcard, and that was oh, a, yeah. that was one of the most fun things I did because you have this canvas of a postcard size, and um, I just like made up this little applique scene of a tree and little mushrooms and stuff, and then I put the person's name on there. It was so much fun um, to do that, but I can see how you can learn because it challenges you. I think doing those swaps and things yeah and the small canvas like I have no fear somehow when I'm doing something bigger and it's a bigger project for someone it Mm -hmm. seems scary but when it's tiny it's like well if it doesn't work out like it's four inches square fabric I can throw it away yeah (laughs) you can make something else so yeah it makes it makes me feel a lot less fearful I feel fearless and like I can Mm -hmm. try anything so yeah so then so you've been you were doing this quilting all along as you're doing your aeronautical career, and um, I I think that um, it, you have one of those unique um, qualities of having the left brain and the right brain kind of qualities. And I I I in, went to interior design school, and we we did a test. And I was like that as well. I had a little bit of left brain, but not not that much, <laughs> but a little bit of, whereas some creative people only like 
off to the right and they're uber creative and that's right. just that's their what right. they do so um I, right. think, I i always like that with you too because i felt a little bit of a kinship that you know i do have some of that kind of t- left brain in mixed yeah, in so with for, the right brain <laughs> so for me in my engineering career um i didn't feel like i was creative and that, that, that's funny because I would go home and I would sew and I make quilts at night. And somehow I didn't equate that as being creative. But like at work, while I was working, um, you know, I was in this environment and I was, I was an analyst. So I'm very analytical, very number crunchy, doing all the computer data stuff, data mining. And I didn't feel like I was contributing to the creative solution side of stuff, which I totally was, but I wasn't mm-hmm. giving myself credit for it. Mm. And so I think it's interesting that for me, it was about this exploration of process when I decided to leave engineering and do something different that I had to acknowledge that I actually am creative and that I do have that side. And then it's, and it, and I think for some people it can be scary because they might mm-hmm. think that they're not, but the, the pure act of coloring can be creative. You know, you just have to look at it and give yourself that permission to explore yeah. and acknowledge that we all have it. We just need to nurture that spark. Oh, it's so. so true. Yeah, yeah, that is so true. And um, and I just there's this other podcast I listen to that's it's it's bizarre. It's these woodworking guys, and I don't do woodworking, but they they also YouTube and stuff, so they give good tips about stuff like that. And he said they were talking about this being creative and how much and how little. And he said, you know, when you um, here's the difference between someone who is an artist and creative and who isn't when you're driving out driving and you notice, you know, the leaves falling or you notice something, you notice something um, that someone has done in the front of their house or, or, or whatever. And you stop. I mean, you really like, you like to look at that kind of stuff and you like to study it or you just find it interesting versus you just have a destination to get to and you're just going and you don't, you don't notice anything. I thought that was a right. really good that's, explanation that's really, for that. That's great. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, anyway, but uh, yeah, so in technical, you're right. It is it is creative in what you're doing. And, and, and you, you do it up an exponentially level that for like all the rest of us normal people. I mean, math was not my thing. But <laughs> um uh, but it's weird. Quilt math is okay. I'm like, I'm good with it. It's weird. It's strange. There's certain math is okay. But once I once you start getting into that, like formula, formulaic stuff, then I'm like, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> and so for me, it was always just a puzzle. Right. So yeah, it's just a puzzle to solve. So that made if you can turn anything into fun, right, then yeah. it becomes less scary. So uh, for my, my brain, it just went straight to Ooh, this is a puzzle. This is fun. And if I get it wrong, well, then I just have the pieces wrong and I'll figure out how they go back together. That's interesting. I think that's partly what makes you a great quilter, too, because quilting is a lot of there is technical to design of it. I think when you're putting together all of those geometric shapes. Right. Yeah, there definitely can be. Um, And yeah, you can approach design from. So many different ways, too. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. So um, let's talk a bit about now. Now you've kind of decided to cross over and, and, and do something new. And did you do that by starting a blog or how did you how did you do that? So I had had a blog where and I think my mother read it. So I had been <laughs> making quilts after hours, you know, after work. And what really happened is that, you know, your friendship group 
first you're, you're single and then you guys get married. And then after that, you know, the wedding invitations start turning into baby invitations. And I was like, Oh, light bulb. I will make baby quilts for all these baby (laughs) invitations that are coming to our house. So, and that turned into some of the time I was using patterns and then I was like making up my own things. So I was just sharing the quilts that I was making. And then my in-laws wanted a quilt. So I made a quilt for their bed and I was just having fun. And I had this really blogger blogspot blog that I was sharing what was going on. But like I said, I think my mother was the only one that read it. (laughs) Um, So I changed my platform over to WordPress. I bought a URL. I was like, okay, I can do this. And then when I I left, I was like, but who's going to, how am I going to figure out how to get people to know who I am to read this blog? Mm -hmm. Um, Because I followed people, you know, that started in, the modern quilt guild and stuff like that. And I'm like, they have, they have this readership, but how did they find, how did people even know that they existed? Mm-hmm. And I chanced upon this, um, organiz- or this group of women, uh, Beth from Plum and June was her blog. And she hosted something nearly called the new quilt bloggers blog hop, where it basically taught you blogging etiquette, how to interact with people, how to find other quilters, how they can find you and basically started meshing you into the fold of the online community. And I was like, okay. And so I learned a lot. So that was sort of the first oh, that's business fantastic. side thing that I did. Yeah. Uh, although it, it could have been for any hobbyist as well, but I, I got involved in that immediately after I left my job and I was like, oh, so you have to leave comments. And then once you leave comments for someone else, they'll be like, who is this person? <laughs> like, that makes sense. And so it starts this kind of chain reaction and these conversations can start happening and you can build you know, mm-hmm. a community of people, whether their style is just like yours or not. So yeah, yeah, very good. And then, and then you um, started to to make your designs, um, quilt designs, shortly thereafter, right? So shortly thereafter, I again, I was sort of in the phase of um, not sure I was throwing things on the wall to see what would stick, right? Because yeah. <laughs> left my job, didn't know how to make money doing this quilting thing. <laughs> So um, it was really cute. My former coworkers were really supportive. They were so excited that someone left engineering to do something creative because a lot of the men that I worked with, honestly, have these creative side passions. You know, they're in their garages at night machining or woodworking and doing these creative outlets themselves. Mm -hmm. And they're like, man, this is so cool that someone's actually stepping up and doing what I want to do. And so they commissioned quilts for me. Cool. So that was that was how I made money for about the first year after I left my job is I was making quilts for basically former coworkers who were just so stoked and so excited that I was trying something. Um, And as I was going through that process, learning about design for commission and things of that nature, I started to figure out, do I want to write my own patterns for them? Do I want to use a pattern for them? And it was a split. Sometimes they very clearly said, make me this quilt, which was a (laughs) pattern. (laughs) Okay. So, you know, and sometimes it was a I, what what do you want to make? And it was a uh, you know learning where I fit in my design style and aesthetic fit into it. Mm-hmm. And so I made <clears throat> this one quilt for commission, and people were like, "Whoa, I would love that!" And it was something I drafted up. So I was like, "Well, I could write it as a pattern. Would would people like that?" And they said yes. And again, um, it, through this new bloggers blog hub, I met a woman who was a newspaper editor, mm-hmm. and she said, "I would be more than happy to do an edit." of their first pattern. So you write it, I'll look it over and read it over for you. And I was like, what a gift. Well, it can't hurt to try. And so that's where it started. So I wrote it up. I learned that 
half square triangles have a hyphen between half and square and, you know, and why and all kinds of editing tips. And it just, uh, that's where it started. So I started writing patterns. So cool. It's very cool. So, um, and then um, I guess it just is a natural progression of your blog, then get into pattern design, and then get into maybe started teaching first or technical editing. I would say that I started teaching first. Um, that would make sense. I did some yeah. some local some local teaching at a local quilt shop um, mm-hmm. about an hour south of me, and then once I did that, I started. Um, building that up a little bit more. Now I teach for um, conferences and things like QuiltCon. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm actually loving the pandemic Zoom meetings that everyone's having. I, I love going to quilt guilds, but travel is not necessarily great. And mm. it's expensive to, yeah. you know, go somewhere really and have is. someone have you out. So I had mm. traveled to a, some guilds and done some teaching, but I am loving Zoom meetings and uh, virtual lectures and virtual workshops, being able to teach that way. So yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's growing right now. Um, Mm -hmm. and then I, I, it turned into technical editing and how did that happen? My, uh, I developed a really good friendship with, um, a woman, Cheryl Brickey. She blogs at Meadow Mist Designs and she is also an engineer and she works as a, uh, doing patent work during the day. So she's a chemical engineer doing patent kind of things and technical things there. And so she and I, we, we joke sometimes that we share a brain. So we have this very <laughs> engineering side and then we have this quilting side. And yeah. so the two of us seem to be on a, a cycle where we would, were releasing patterns at about the same rate. So we started swapping for one another. So I would technical edit her pattern and she would technical edit mine. And, you know, it made our patterns a lot better. And then I said, well, if I'm doing this as a service, I can do it for other people. And mm-hmm. so that just sort of grew and evolved. I was just put it out there. Hey, if anyone's interested in me doing this, um, I'd be happy to do it. And so that's also been growing and yeah, I really enjoy it. I, yeah, being able to look at patterns and do the quilt math and doing, um, even editing of the text and and making suggestions that way. So yeah, it's been great. That's cool. And I can see how that could be a really, um, kind of like a filling a gap there that, you know, for all of those, you know, super creative people who just don't want anything to do with that technical side, um, to have a resource like you to do that is really great. And, and you know, I, I when I started to, to read that you did this technical editing, I was like, wow, I didn't even know really I, that because I, you know, I, I'm trying to like, you know, learn this illustrator and try to see if I can do a pattern design. But there's so much I don't know. Um but um, and again, I'm like one of those stupid detailed people that feels like you have to know everything first before you actually do it. So I think I have to, you know, just jump in there and don't be afraid to make a mistake. But this technical editing is a really good idea. And I think it's it's just like editing for like a magazine article, right? Exactly. Yeah. And for me, I'm always going to have my patterns technical edited because the hardest person to edit is my own. I, I cannot <laughs> see my own mistakes, you know, cause I've been into it. I'm, t- it's mm-hmm. too raw. I'm, I've, I've gone through it. I've seen it a hundred times. I cannot see the five glaring mistakes that are sitting oh, right in front of my face. Gotcha. I just can't. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's important, I think for everybody. Yeah. So. 
Really nice. Regardless okay. of what your skill and interests are. <laughs> true. Yes. So true. So, um, so yeah. And then, um, so let's talk about this quilt con coming up because I'm really excited. I've, I've never been to a quilt con yet and I always have wanted to go. Um, but again, like you say, it's so expensive to travel and the hotel and, and then those classes add up. <laughs> So, um, yeah. so I'm kind of excited that it's virtual this coming year because, um, I was able to sign up for some classes and I, I'm signed up to your class, uh, quilt design. It's a mini workshop. And yes. so I'm going through the catalog and I, I mean, I'm telling you, if I could take them all, I would, because if I <laughs> they should have had like a, a mega buster option, you know? <laughs> oh my gosh. And so I literally spent hours going through this catalog back and forth, like trying to like making the list. And I'm like, whoa, that's way too many. I can't do that. And then I have to edit it down. And so, um, yeah, but I I liked yours because you you went back to like the the paper and the colored pencils for quilt design and and I like that because just kind of like I'm even more like old school like that anyway. <laughs> um, coming from that's all we had when I was you know a kid and a teen and even college, so um, I kind of I, I like starting that way, and I'm looking forward to that um, to your class. Um, on quilt design, but just like give a little description uh, of what that one sure. is going to be. So, so for the quilt design, um, my goal there is to get you thinking more about what works and what doesn't work for you to get you into a creative mindset. Um, and so I'm trying to strip it down to very, very simple basics, uh, which is why I heavily suggest pencil and paper. Um, if someone does have a computer program that they're comfortable with, I'm also encouraging them to do that, but I'm trying to strip away their options. I'm like, don't use color, <laughs> just line draw. Oh. I want, um, I want, I want you to kind of think through the process. And so I, I walk you through what I call the design funnel, which is a, a very wide design space all the way down to like design for commission where someone's telling you use these fabrics and make me this, <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> this exact yeah, thing, right. Which yeah. is very narrow. Yes, right. Yes. And so there's a whole range of spectrum when you're doing design. Mm -hmm. And I try to walk you through that process as we go through the workshops and um, think about like time of day and if background music is helping you or annoying you, you know, so we, we talk through um, different processes and different things that you can get hung up with as you're going through design so that you can find, you know, the sweet spot of doing something and making it a repeated process so that you start to feel really comfortable and confident with it. Oh, good, good. I'm so looking forward to that. I cannot wait. And then you've got some other workshops there. You have a, there's a mega, so, so the mini workshops are about like maybe, I don't know, half hour, 40 minutes long, maybe, or if that even. Like yeah. So the, so the information I was given as an instructor <laughs> <laughs> is they want 35 to 55 minutes of recorded instruction for a mini workshop. Oh, good. Okay. And they want 55 to 80 minutes of recorded instruction for what they call a mega workshop. Right. And and so what this is doing is it's replacing the three hour and the six hour workshops, though the half day and, and full day workshops that they okay. had when we were in person. Mm -hmm. um, because the reality is, while there's instruction, um, a lot of the time is spent with students doing things in a workshop, right? You're mm -hmm. either doing the sketching, you know, if it's or doing the hand sewing or, you know, at the sewing machine. So you can't have a whole too much 
of the instructor time. Right. Um, and then they also have add-ons where you can have one-on-one Zoom, not one-on-one. I think it's like groups of 10 or 11 oh, the people enhanced. with the instructor. That yeah. Enhanced. Mm-hmm. So you can have kind of a Q&A breakout session. And then there'll also be an online forum where you can write questions and uh, get feedback during oh, the event okay. as well. Oh, nice. Nice. Um, so uh, the, the, so the mega class that you have is thread painting and the photo that's on there is so beautiful. And um, I just think that um, that would be so fun too, but I didn't get that one. <laughs> um, have to be next time. Um, but go, go ahead and talk about the thread painting. Cause I didn't even know that was something that you yeah. did. So thread painting, it's, um, it's basically whole cloth quilting, but taken to an, another level where you're trying to use the thread to tell a story. Um, and I know that in general, when if you do a search for thread painting, it's sort of more art quilt world related. Mm-hmm. So you'll see, and it's usually figure representation or landscape representation. And it's a lot of, it looks a lot very embroidery-esque, but it's all done via free motion quilting. Mm-hmm. Um, but my goal in this is to kind of talk you through a little bit more of like whole cloth design and whole cloth thoughts from a more modern perspective. It doesn't just have to be straight up lots of thread on a quilt. You know, what if you did things like um, used tiny uh, pebble quilting, so small little circles, and that's all you did, but you changed the color and did it in such an outline shape that it became very clear that it's this whole other thing entirely. So, um, yeah, I'm going to talk through some examples uh, that I've done before and walk through how you would make design decisions and, and play with thread on fabric. That's pretty fascinating. I didn't realize that um, yours was more like a whole cloth. And oh, sorry, <clears throat> I guess that photo makes sense because it's a it's a, it's like a picture of a is it a ram or an animal or? <laughs> yeah, it's a stone sheep. Stone so my sheep, husband okay. and I had had a pretty epic uh, trip last summer, and um, it's a. I took one of my husband's photographs of um, wildlife that we saw on the trip, and I translated it into a mini quilt while we were actually started working on it while we were on the trip. So really beautiful, and and um, it's just amazing that that's just done with free motion, and, and quilting and thread um, on a blank you know, solid piece of fabric. So that's really right. cool. Cause I, I did a class where it was thread painting, but it was like what you said, and it was landscape. And, and we did have um, like this uh, applique that was, um, what do you call that raw edge? Uh, but then, oh, right. mm-hmm. but then you created that depth and dimension with the thread painting, which was the shadowing, shading and highlighting, but it wasn't the actual, artwork which is what yours is that's really right. a cool concept i i like that really nice okay cool um so so the listeners were this will probably be up maybe between october and november and there's there probably will still be time and unless your class is full um to sign up for these classes. so i think that the um yeah i think that in terms of filled up i think the enhanced portion of some of my workshops are sold out because there's only so many seats available. But I think all of my workshops still have availability as far as I know, at this point in time. Right, right. And we're (laughs) recording this in uh, September. So, so who knows? But anyway, (laughs) oh, I I signed up for waitlisted. So I signed up for a couple of waitlist ones. So you could possibly exactly. Yeah, get in there. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I interrupted Um, you. No, no. Um, that's one of the things I love about QuiltCon together, too. So at QuiltCon in person, 
Um, classes are limited to 24 people because there's just only so many sewing machines and things that can be set up. Um, QuiltCon together, the class size is larger because it's can be handled on this virtual event. So I think that people, one, can participate or from around the world that don't have to travel, which is mm-hmm. super exciting. So more people are going to be able to be part of it. Mm-hmm. And then more people can sign up for the classes because the class sizes are larger. So Yeah, I like that um, because uh, I had this panic. <laughs> I, I was all on top of it. And like the, the Modern Quilt Guild members get a little early start to sign up for these classes. And it's like you're waiting and waiting. And then it came and then I totally blanked out. And so it was like two weeks later. And then I saw an email of like, oh, it's going to be open to the public. And I was like, what? So <laughs> oh, no. Because I know how quickly those fill up. And like, the, like you said, the in-person ones, those classes oh, fill it's within up within the hour, it's, yeah, it's of, of release. Yeah. So I thought I wasn't going to get anything, but I was very pleasantly surprised that there was a whole lot still available. <laughs> 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 so I like that too. I really do like this uh, virtual uh, one that's coming up. And then you have another mini workshop for the mini, is it mini, mini quilts? It's mini, mini quilts, which uh, we were talking about earlier. Yeah. So it's... Uh, so again, it's sort of um, another angle on design a little bit, but it's also just using up your scraps and talking about making these tiny little makes and how fearless you can be when it's only a four or five inch finished piece yeah. and how to finish them um, and how to feel confident putting binding on something so tiny. Because mm-hmm. the first time I made one, I mean, I think I went, I ripped off the binding three or four times. I was like, <laughs> this is not working. So, you know, it, it requires a little bit different finesse and a little bit different technique to make it work when it's so small. Oh, that's it's, true. Because you don't have that room for like 10 inches of... And you're, there's yeah, no binding. way that you're going to have a mitered, <laughs> in my opinion. Maybe you have more patience than I do. But um, yeah, I use, I use single fold binding to give that tip away. And it, yeah. Single, makes it much easier wait single fold so is that so the instead one where of, it, they, they fold in each side into the center is that what that is or no so it's more like um it's a a, a single strip that you haven't pressed in half yet right okay. so it's just a strip of, of binding fabric and i sew it on by machine because it's so tiny it's a little oh. fussy so i start on the back instead okay. of the front and I stitch it around and I get the perimeter sealed up. And then when I flip it to the front, you fold the raw edge under and gotcha. then stitch that down. Oh, see? Yeah. <laughs> That's a much better way to do it. <laughs> Look at how much more work yeah, you create for yourself to make to... the folds first. And then all you have to do is really just stitch on the raw edge onto the back. That's a really good tip. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, and I know you're right. The mini mini quilts are smaller, so you have to kind of sort of look at it a little differently. And you know, like I I think back to I did take a, a quilting class. Um, you know, my, when I very first even like didn't even know what, how to do it, and it it was like a big lap size, and all we did was make the top. So I never knew for a couple more years how to finish it, like how to sandwich based bind like all of that and I think like for beginners doing a mini quilt not even just like a mini mini but just even just like an 18 inch square and you learn how to make the top the whole the sand, thing the whole thing I think that yeah, would so be, I will say yeah because my grandmother hand quilted my first quilt um, I sent my quilts out to be quilted for years because I didn't know right she did she did the hand quilting I was mm-hmm. like I don't, I don't know what happens next. I made the top. So for years, I sent it out to long armors because 
you know, I, I just didn't know that you could on a domestic Mm -hmm. machine. It wasn't something that, yeah, you know, I thought they were hand quilted or long arm quilted end of story. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's so true. Cause you know, people who have been quilting for a long time, they just think that you don't realize that if you don't know, you just, you look at this fabric and stuff and you just, I don't know what to do now. I have no idea. And it's overwhelming. Yeah, it is very overwhelming. And then, um, at least for me, it's, um, intimidating. So then of course you don't want to make a mistake. And now I know I'm so much better. Before I was just so much about, it has to be perfect the first time, but you can make mistakes. It's, it's like, you can, you can rip some stitches out if you want to, or you don't oh, have it's to. It's my favorite thing about quilting. You get you get an undo button. Like yeah. in what area in life can you undo something? Yes. Like it, it doesn't exist, but it exists in quilting. Like a seam ripper is the most magical tool on the planet. Right? Yeah. 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 And you can decide. So, I mean, sometimes, oh, exactly. sometimes you're just so close up to it and you see everything. But if you like walk away or come back, or even if you stand back and you're not going to see anything really right. most of the time. I mean, I think we make much bigger deals about our mistakes than, than they really are. Oh, we're way harder on ourselves Aren't than we? anyone else is going to be. Yeah. 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 So at, 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 as you're quilting for longer and longer, I think you learn of, can I live with that? Do I want to live with that or not? And, um, you know, I had Jackie Gehring on the show last year and, um, she was talking about her dog and she was quilting and the dog would nudge her in the elbow and then it would do a little blip. Uh (laughs) And she says, I'm, I left it in because that's, I forgot his name, but she's like, you know, that's him. He's part of this quilt. And I oh, yeah. loved that. Yeah. Well, so and she'll cool. always look at it and she'll think about that. And it, yeah. I mean, it gives it so much more meaning. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. I like yeah. that. Really cool. So, and then uh, one other thing with the quilt con together, um, you're on some, you're, uh, are you on a lecture and a panel? So I'm in one lecture, which is a panel. So oh, it's, okay. a, it's a group discussion. So it'll be um, uh, a discussion about improvisation, which I know most people will be like, you don't tend to do improvisation, but um, <laughs> I do in these mini, mini quilts a lot. Um, ah. So I don't tend to make bigger quilts or like patterned work mm-hmm. that is improvisation based. But um, on the smaller quilts, I, I enjoy it. And I definitely approach it differently from my kind of logical side than, than most people. And so I think that when some people hear improvisation, they get locked up because they think no rulers, no plan. And so for me, I can relate to that because I'm very (laughs) follow rules, do this process. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, my, my take on it will hopefully bridge enough people over that they try to think about exploring it and listen to what everyone else has to say. Yeah. So much fun. I, I know I saw a list of those panels and it looks so interesting. Um, so again, I cannot wait until February. Um, okay. So, um, what else? Uh, Oh, I have on here that you have a quilt along coming up. Do you have a quilt along? I do. So, so I try to have a quilt along about once a year. And my goal is to always kind of share the design in the October, November timeframe to get to people signing up to buy the pattern so that in December they're collecting fabric so that beginning of the year they're ready to hit the ground running and start oh. making a pattern. Cause it, with the holidays, it gets 
stressful and there's so much going on. So I try to have a nice slow ramp up, get everyone excited, get everyone on board. Uh-huh. And then we really start sewing at the beginning of 2021. Oh, that's perfect. I, I kind of like that time frame too. And you start sewing at the beginning of the year. Yeah, because sometimes these um, sew alongs and quilt alongs don't give you a lot of time before you sign up and then you're jumping in and then I'm already behind. Oh, and it's a weekly schedule. So <laughs> yeah. um, I have a I have a small group of supporters uh, through Patreon, um, my patrons, and um, they always guide me for what they want for the next year. So they they have the input. I ask them. I get they get to oh, say cool. what they like, the pace they like, and so in general, the pace is about two to three weeks is where the sweet spot. So it's frequent enough that they can have check ins, but not so fast that they're feeling overwhelmed. And yeah, the design this year is based on feedback they gave me on kind of work that I'm currently doing. So we'll okay, see. so I can direct people to your your website quiltingjetgirl.com. Yep. And as uh, as that goes along, I'll be sharing more. Good, good. Very good. Okay. And then you have another really cool. Um, well, actually, wait, I want to back up. S- earlier this month in September, you released uh, a new pattern called Skyful of Stars. I did. I yeah. have been having a ton of fun with curves. Um, I love curves. I don't even know why did it start? I'm trying to think back to like how this whole thing started. So um, (laughs) at the beginning of sort of the shutdown, um, the local quilt shop in my town was closing down because they're retiring. Um, And it really hit them hard because they had been planning to close at the end of May. And now Mm. with all the shutdown restrictions due to coronavirus, they couldn't have people coming to the store and doing the things they needed to to close. Mm -hmm. So I contacted them and I said, Hey, I'll buy all the Kona cotton that you have in stock. Wow. And so we made a deal. I went down. Um, they loaded it in the, my car. I let it sit in my car for a week, which is hard when you buy that much fabric. You want to touch it. But I was like, I'm not touching anything. I don't yeah. know who's been around it. Oh, um, that's so right. I bought all this yeah. Kona cotton and it sat in my car. And then I came in the house. And as I was putting it in my house, this palette of colors spoke to me that I would never have put together on my own if I hadn't just bought random fabric um and it's a fall kind of spicy theme so it was like kona bone burgundy spice and yarrow so yellow orange and red but these kind of burnt umber colors Very and pretty. i knew that i wanted to make a quilt using them um, so i stared at it for a long time and i finally said it's fall colors but i'm not inspired by like leaves because that's what i always think of when i think of fall is like falling leaves and the change of colors mm-hmm. and i found a picture of a mum which is a beautiful flower, but it was in these the fall colors and it was these rounded shapes. And so I made this rounded curve design and I hmm. pieced some curves. And so from there I've taken off. And <laughs> <laughs> because while I was piecing that, I, I realized that um, I could do um, a star shape without using a bunch of Drunkard's Path. So Drunkard's Path is the quarter circle block and there are lots of templates that are out there for it. And if you make four of them and you kind of flip them so that the small arch is all together, it makes this cool star instead of the bigger circles together and you make the arches Mm -hmm. together. And I was like, well, but it has these extra seams in the middle of the star. Wouldn't it be really cool if that fabric could be continuous? So it just created this whole exploration for me of what you can do with Drunkard's Path templates and curved piecing but using bigger pieces of fabric so that you get fewer seams. And so that's, it's been a whole series of explorations from that one quilt. And that's sky full of stars was sort of like, ta-da! this is what you can do and have these fabrics be the center of attention. I just pulled it up because I had to look at it while you're talking about it again. So I can see 
Oh, yeah. How you put those together to create the stars. It's really yeah. cool. And, you know, it's, um, it, it, I, I think it's a, a type of a pattern that um, anybody can start with because the pieces, the, you know, the, the block size is sort of bigger, right? So I purposely made the block size larger. So yeah, I, I like think that, that mm-hmm. for beginners learning curved piecing, you, that a six inch drunkard's path template is kind of the sweet spot um, because it's big, the, the fabric bends easier. So the smaller you get, the harder it is to get those curves sure. nice and, yeah, uh, and yeah. crisp and to mm-hmm. manipulate the fabric. But a yeah. six inch um, radius, that's that's the sweet spot. A lot spot, easier. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really cool. Okay, good. So we'll put that into the, the show notes. I love hearing the stories behind these designs. It's so cool. Yeah. Um, okay, and then another collaboration with Pat Sloan. Um, yeah, so that is really interesting. So, so she, yeah, go ahead. She has a new fabric line coming out. Yeah, she has a new fabric line that's coming out and should be in quilt shop starting early October. Um, it's called Morrison Park. And I, I met Pat through um, Facebook, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my my friend that I mentioned earlier in the show, Cheryl Bricky and, um, and I uh, started a Facebook group called Quilt Pattern Designers. And it started getting bigger and bigger and more and more people. And we needed some help managing the group. And Pat Sloan kind of raised her hand and said, I'll, I'll step in. I'm, she moderates her what? own quilt group, yeah. which is, I mean, she's massive. And she's got 100,000 <laughs> plus people in her group. Right. And she's like, so I have, I have large group experience. Um, and so Pat, Cheryl, and I kind of worked together to run the Quilt Pattern Designers group for years. And um, anyway, uh getting to know her through administering this Facebook group. She's like, Hey, I have this new fabric line coming out. What do you guys think? Would you have a project that you could use it? And then when I do release the fabric, I can share about it because again, with quilt market being virtual, everything is so weird this year. So Mm -hmm. uh, fabric designers are looking for different ways to kind of get their fabrics seen by people. Mm -hmm. So um, I was in the middle of this. I've got this new technique. So I designed a quilt <laughs> and I pitched it to her and I got the fabric garbage. It showed up and I was like, that is not something that can be made. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> so um, at least not using the technique that I, I wanted mm-hmm. to use. So I had to scramble a little bit and make sure that the yardage I had was still enough to do something a little bit different. So, mm. but yeah, I'll have a new, I'll have a new uh, quilt pattern coming out. Um, in early October to Great. go along with to Morrison, go along Park, with Morrison so. Park. Okay, yeah. good. Really good. I love Pat Sloan. She, um, you know, her, her podcast that she did years ago, um, with American Patchwork yeah, and Quilting, all people quilt, yeah. all people quilt. Yeah. Was the first quilt related podcast that I had ever listened to. Uh, my very first podcast was Leo Laporte, the tech guy. <laughs> because of my husband (laughs) he talks all about computers and stuff (laughs) but um then I found Pat Sloan and I was so excited and I just still to this day you know she she was an inspiration to me even for podcasting and as a quilter and so it's really it's really cool that you um are collaborating with her on this uh, fabric release with your pattern design that's fun so that's coming out early October this podcast will be out after yes. the fact. So when um, listeners, you listen to this, you it'll be ready for you. You can just go and get it. That's what I love. Yeah. Because when stuff has, you have to wait like six months 
after they do this grand intro to these fabric lines and you're like six months i gotta wait for before this it's fabric. even available yes yeah. yes i mean i i kind of i don't know i'm torn with that because you do kind of want to know what's coming up but i sort of don't want to know until like a couple of weeks before i can get it because i just don't want right. to wait that long you know you see it I either want to buy it or I don't. So where do I where do I give my money? <laughs> yes, yes, I know it's it's just a quandary. But I under I understand that is how you know fabrics can't be produced like that. But it's just when you start talking about them, I don't know. I just don't. It must work because they they're going to keep doing this. They're going to keep you know doing these markets and introducing fabrics six months before they're available. <laughs> well, I think the I think the way it works is they need to know how much of the fabric to, to make to make. So they need yeah. They need to get enough pre-orders so that they can say, yeah. "Oh, it's going to be this much of a of a run, or a bigger run, or a smaller mm-hmm. run this time." So yeah, they need to get the pre-orders so that they're not having fabric. Oh, like from all the quilt shops and stuff, right? Yeah, ah. yep. That's why. That makes Which, sense. I mean, it makes sense on the back end, but from the consumer side, it's like, wait, what's happening? <laughs> well, yeah, and I, I kind of get that. But then again, I, I said this on one of my earlier podcasts. I was doing a little rant because I couldn't believe I had to wait so long for the next. But I was like, you know, on some of the designers who are very well established, like Tula Pink, you know what you're going to sell. So why don't you just, you know, make it <laughs> and then you're going to sell it right away. <laughs> but Anyway, it's still always fun to get the fabrics, so it doesn't make it any less fun once they actually finally do come out, and then you have that fabric in your hands. Do you know, speaking of, do you know, like, when you when you get new fabrics, um, do, do you just like to go through them right away, or do you build a stash, or do you kind of, like, wait till, like, ooh, what, I have to wait till this, like, tells me what it wants to be? So I'm a very minimal stash person. So I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not very normal. I'm a little bit of a minimalist. Um, <laughs> what I stash are, are solids because I tend to work with them a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but my prints are probably what most people would consider scraps. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't, I don't tend to work with prints as much. So I don't have a whole lot of them. So if I purchase, I purchase to use um, more often than not. And then what gets left over turns into my sort of scrap stash mm-hmm. but yeah in general I don't have those Kona cottons I just bought this year that's that's my stash <laughs> wow wow that's that's really disciplined too I think but I I just I think it's just how people work and think and because some people if they have that stash clutter they can't think straight and I don't understand that myself because I love to see all the fabrics out <laughs> I'd love and- to see the fabric and I love to see it in rainbow order. But yeah, I, I'm definitely one of those. It needs to be tidy every place, everything mm. in its place, you know. Yeah, you would hate my sewing room. I know. <laughs> I just know it. Yeah. But um, uh, it's funny because I just I, and I never knew that until I learned um, this organization from this YouTube organizer. And she, she has all these different like types of bugs that you are like a ladybug and a bee and a butterfly. But Uh, certain people organize different ways based upon like their personality. So some people do not like anything out on the counters or on surfaces. So it's got to be all put away. Otherwise, it just drives them bananas. And then other people like me like to see their stuff out. (laughs) And if it's too clean, it like makes me a little like, oh, you know, 
there's there has to be something yeah. out. <laughs> but yeah. it's just all well, different. Everybody has their own creative process. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't mean that it's not organized. You can still have your stuff out and it's organized. Oh, totally. But yeah, it's just a difference in um how your your I don't know, your brain and your personality works and what you're comfortable with. But I just thought I exactly. thought that was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so um okay. Well, I just before we end this episode, I just want to chat a little bit. You mentioned it a little earlier about this amazing trip that you and your husband went on. And we'll just talk about it a little bit because um, my patrons are going to get the rest of your story <laughs> in the uh, Patreon bonus episode. So we're going to continue to talk about that. <laughs> but just we're going to just get, go kind of like an overview of what you did. Yeah, so my husband and I purchased an old um, military, uh, vehicle. It was, well, I don't know. Military is quite the right word, but it is, um, uh, it's called a Unimog. And so it's a four by four capable truck basically. And we refurbished it and put a 75 square foot apartment on the back of it. And we drove to the Arctic and back last summer. So our goal was to drive the two roads that cross the Arctic circle and to see the Arctic ocean. And we were able to do that. So it was, it was a lot of fun. That is a trip of a lifetime. I mean, I just, I, I just am amazed at what you guys did. And it was so cool. And that uh, little apartment that you put on the back of it was to me, it looked like luxury. <laughs> I told my husband, I'm like, this is, this is the way I like to do like a camping road trip. <laughs> Cause you guys right, had, so you had the um, solar panels, So you had electricity, you had Wi-Fi, right? Right. So we had, um, like you said, solar panels. So we had more power than we knew what to do with. It was, it was amazing. We were concerned about at the Northern latitudes that the, the light angle would be worse. And so we put 600 watts of solar on the roof. <laughs> and, uh, I think the lowest our battery bank ever dropped to was 87. And that was because we were on a ferry all day and it didn't get any sun for a wow. day. And um, so, yeah, we had so um, cool. a full-time bed that we didn't have to fold up and put away. So mm -hmm. there was a bed that was always made up. Mm -hmm. um, we had a dinette area, a kitchen and a bathroom. So and yeah. nice windows too. I think I saw from your yeah. photos. Yeah, so windows were these uh, sweet European windows that um, had blackout blinds, which were very important for, again, yeah. it was basically light 24 hours a day in the summer. So um, to be able to get it dark enough to be able to sleep. Yeah, and um, the other thing I liked about it too is on that 4x4 vehicle, it was so much off the ground. I like that. I like that you're, I don't know, just for it, you feel a little bit more secure and safe at night, right? Yeah, that I think I think it was just the height it was because of the ground clearance. So we purposely picked that particular vehicle, the Unimog U1300L, because of the ground clearance that it had. We knew that we were going to be going on some rough roads mm -hmm. and that, uh, that to get to the places we wanted to go, we wanted 4x4 capable with high ground clearance. And so yeah. it, that that vehicle then was big it was. <laughs> as a result of that. Ginormous and so tires that, and everything. Yeah. But but I think you guys did made that yourselves, right? Yep, we did. 
Yep. So So is your husband an engineer too? He is. Yep. Ah. So he's also an engineer. He's he's a machinist and a welder and an engineer. So Ooh. yeah, works out great. Yeah, yeah. Really nice. So um yeah, you had really great photos and I, I remember seeing on your Instagram feed um, you know, just little updates of like how you're you know, going on this road and, and bringing your quilting along. And I was like, whoa, but, and I didn't know, I, I, cause the, I'm not sure which post it was, but I didn't know if like, that's what you were doing forever <laughs> or if it was just, um, you know, like you did, like it was a summer trip. So, right. Yeah. Really. It was cool. one of those things where, um, yeah, we, we tried it out and we liked it, but it, it was not going to be full-time sustainable. It's pretty expensive to um, mm. <laughs> that much fuel and um, the Wi-Fi. So I yeah. what I used was, it's called TEP Wireless, which is a really cool tool, but that in itself wasn't cheap and it was pretty limited. I only had a gig of data a day. Oh. Um, so... Yeah, it was it was not going to be full time sustainable, but it was. I'm really glad we did it and um, had the the ability to take that time off and do it. Because just all up and down that West Coast is so gorgeous. I I, I love Northern California, and I've always I watch all the Alaskan shows, and I always want to like go to this Denali Park, and you know I would have to do it on the road because I cannot do anything on the ocean because I get too seasick. So. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so I like the way you guys did that. And, um, and it's so cool, because you you get went all the way up to this t- Toyotuk, which I have seen on TV. It's just like, I'm like, they are living all like this shows that I've seen this exact landscape, and you got to see it. <laughs> yeah, so remote. Yeah. And really yeah. cool. I think you said that you guys were like the third to, to we were the third person that year, we literally sat and wait for the ferries to open. Wow. So um, there's the season when it's iced up enough that you can drive on it. And then it's too weak and it has to break up and then they have to get the barges. And when we got onto the road, um, and this is the Canadian road, so this is the Dempster Highway that goes to Tuktoyaktuk, uh-huh. there are two ferries that have to be set up. So they said that the ferries were both closed. And we're like, well, we'll just drive and we'll see what happens. And we got there and they we camped for about 36 hours. I said, it'll be about 24 hours. It took them a little bit longer to finish uh, stringing it up. And so oh. we were we were the first set of vehicles to cross, oh, cross the so rivers on the ferries. Cool. So I can't imagine all the wildlife and all the landscape that you guys were able to see. It's really nice. Um, and uh, just uh, before we ended I um it reminded me of there was this YouTube channel that I used to watch and they this uh, couple would um and it was like they made a living out of it because of their YouTube channel but they drove around everywhere in this particular Volkswagen type van vehicle that they made into like a little home and you know it was similar to what you guys were doing right. but I mean I I just couldn't, it was just really interesting to watch that because it's something that I'm not going to (laughs) do, A, (laughs) but it looks so cool and they are able to film and show you these remote parts of the world that they're going to. Um, I think they started in South America, like uh, Peru or something like that. And Oh, interesting. And yeah. they drove. So a lot of people, yeah. a lot of people will do the start at Terra de Fuego, which is the southernmost tip of South America and drive all the way up and wow. do Tuk Tuk or, you know, do the full length of the Americas or something like oh, that. Oh, wow. So, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that takes a long time, long time to do. So we actually met a man that was um, biking. So he start, started at Terra del Fuego and he was, I don't know, maybe uh, 50 miles away from the Arctic Ocean. And he had ridden his bike and it had taken him three years. Oh, my gosh. I cannot yep. even believe that. Yeah, it's so cool. Really cool. Yeah, it's amazing. So, um, yeah, I just that it's such an amazing trip. And then um, you guys even did like a another blog page just about your build, which is kind of cool, too. It would be it'd be really cool for like the the, um, you know, more engineering inclined people who would understand what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you want to see the nerdy details of how to refurbish a truck and build it, uh, uh-huh. build it. It's out there. <laughs> it is out there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um Yvonne, I just thank you so much for coming on the show. And it was just so nice to be able to chat with you and, and um, get to know you better and find out like just, uh, it's, I it to me, it's really fascinating to see to see someone that has this aeronautic engineering background, be so creative in textiles, and, and quilting and design. It's really cool. So I just love what you're doing. And again, I can't wait till QuiltCon comes comes around and I'm taking your class. Um, so and then in the Patreon version, we're um, episode, we're going to continue talking about um, this road trip and how you guys cus- you customized your um, apartment parts of it to your quilting needs, which was pretty awesome really great it was like just amazing i just couldn't believe what i saw so uh we're going to talk about that all right thank you so much and thank you so much for having me yeah it was great talk to you soon bye thanks for listening to the make and decorate podcast the podcast is produced recorded and edited by stephanie socha Until next time, have a great day. Bye.